My name is Daniel Long. I am a pastor here at Grace. If this is your first time here or um, tuning in, streaming, I'm glad that you're here. Glad to welcome you. This is a wonderful community of people who truly want to learn together what it looks like to follow Jesus. Just one brief announcement. So next Sunday is our fourth Sunday. Uh, and in order to take advantage of some of the disruption and the transition and really to help foster some belonging together. We've been taking the fourth Sundays off of our time here in the worship service in order to be together in what we've been calling like belonging together brunches. So that's going to be taking place next Sunday. uh, And that's actually going to be the last time that that's taking place on a fourth Sunday. So starting in July, we're going to be meeting every week. Um, and what we're doing, uh, because, well, one of the reasons we're doing that is because as we are transitioning into really helping to foster and nurture um, small group life here at Grace, uh, we are always going to be sort of running on a school calendar year, which means we're going to be taking the summers off to give facilitators and people who are leading those a break. And so we're trying to continue to um, live into that because we're working behind the scenes of creating opportunities for everybody who wants to be involved in the small group to be able to participate in the small group by September. So we're going to be talking a lot about that and the ways to get involved in that and even the need for some facilitators over the next few months as we prepare for that for September. So ears open, eyes open, uh, and again, be praying because I, I, we sense uh, it's leadership since this is a real important thing for our community Um, to be moving into, where people are living committed life with one another, uh, learning together how to follow Jesus. So again, we're not meeting here next Sunday for the fourth Sunday, but as we move into July, we'll transition back uh, into this. And I know it's been confusing. Some people are like, I thought it was the third Sunday. It's the fourth Sunday. Well, you know what? Now you don't have to worry about it starting in July. But just know it's it's next Sunday that you're not coming in here. We're going to be scattering to being with one another. So I'd like to pray, and then we'll get into the sermon this morning. God, you are are a God who commits to being with us. You are a God who is committed to being for us. And I am grateful that that is the type of God that you are. God, you know us inside, outside, all over the place. Everything that we bring into the space, you know who we are, and you invite us into relationship with you wherever we might be. I ask that we would experience and feel and encounter that invitation, uh, that incredible opportunity to move um, with you, to follow after you, because you are the God who's moved toward us in Jesus. You are the God who is continuing to be with us through your spirit. So thank you for that. I pray that you'd speak to us through your word, that you would encourage, that you would challenge, uh, that you might um, engage our imaginations in a new way and compel us into ways of living uh, that, are, that are truly following after you into life in your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been in a series since the beginning of May where we are looking at the type of people we want to be, that we desire to be people who are learning from Jesus, how to live and love like Jesus with our life together formed around four practices. And so we've been looking at those practices over the last few weeks, And usually, in a sermon series, when we get to the end of it, I like to leave a week in between starting something new or a couple weeks because inevitably, that looks good. 
but that's later. So you know what? Just <laughs> hold on to that. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, anyway, so, <laughs> but wow, that's just enticing. So, uh, um, thanks, Adam, for that. So one of the things that we've been doing is we've been looking at these practices and we've been taking a week on each one. I like to leave some breathing room in between weeks because often there are things I think I should have said or things that could have been said better or maybe there are just some other things that God wants to bring up. Uh, and, and so that, that was, this was one of those weeks. And so I was trying to attend to God and say, and with even asking people, like, what do you think still needs to be said or needs to be talked about? And so what I'd like to do this morning is to somewhat go back to the beginning and talk about sort of practices in general. What's the role of practice? What are the role of practices in our life together in the Christian life? Um, so we've been talking about welcoming, listening, following, and going, but why, why, why practices? I began there briefly uh, talking about why practices, and I want to sort of dive in a little bit more fully into the why, into looking at practices and how they function in our life. And I want to do this, um, enter into the space by offering you two images, two ideas, uh, metaphors, if you will, that I came across and thinking about, and not my own, but as I've been thinking and reading about practices, um, somebody named Susan D. Phillips offered these metaphors for life. Life as a circus and life as a garden. Life as a circus and life as a garden. That these are ways in which we can think about life, ways in which we can think about the Christian life and kind of where we find ourselves. So first, life as a circus. Now this is the life we often are aware of and we know. Life as a circus, as a place where it seems like we're going from one thing to another. It's the life of fragmentation. It's the life of spectacle. It's the life of chaos. Adam, you can go to that, to that image. We have this image of, of busyness. We have this image of all of these things happening. Like This is often the life that we live every single day, and it feels very maddening sometimes, and you're not really sure what to look at, or you're not really sure where to focus your attention, or what to do, and often it sort of breeds this low grade, this sense of anxiety. It's actually the opposite type of life that we see in Philippians 4. So Philippians 4.4, 4, if you want, you can turn your Bibles there. This is going to be a text that we're going to be jumping off of this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, life as a circus is not a life that is devoid of worry or devoid of anxiety. Life as a, in the circus is a life where that worry, that sense of anxiety is constant. There's like a low-grade hum. Have you ever been in a room with a refrigerator that is humming, and you didn't realize the hum until it turned off? And you're like, oh, I didn't know that that was actually happening and affecting me. Well, life in the circus is, a t is a, the type of life that we often live unaware of what it's doing to us or how it's affecting us from one thing 
to another. Again, it's this feeling of chaos. It's not the feeling of peace that is spoken about in Philippians 4. It's not the feeling of, of a lack of worry or of hurry. It's the exact opposite. You know what I'm talking about. You know this life that is the circus. And often when we live this life in the circus, what we often realize is that we've in some ways lost the sense of life altogether. There's this wonderful quote by T.S. Eliot, the poet. He says this, Where is the life that we have lost in living? Where is the life that we have lost in living? When we find ourselves part of the circus and going from one thing to another over and over and over again in the sense of hurry or in the sense of, of expectation or obligation, we end up losing a sense of life in that type of living. Now, see, as we think about the metaphor of life as a circus, then where we find ourselves, we're pushed into two different ways of being. We're either performers or we're spectators. So when we're finding ourselves in this, in this sense, we're either performing, where we need to be in the ring, where we're actually needing to, to do something, and we feel this pressure to actually be something, to be something remarkable, to do acts of infinite variety, daring, and originality, as it says in the picture. We find ourselves needing to perform. The other position or place that we might take when we consider life as a circus is that we are a spectator. We know we're not, we can't, we cannot actually do these acts of infinite variety and, and daring, so we can just watch. And then we kind of feel despondent, a little bit despairing. We know, man, we wish we had that, but we just can't. So we'll just watch other people do those remarkable things. Now, when the spiritual life is co-opted into life in the circus, then all of a sudden, our way with Jesus, our being um, disciples, the Christian life, our spiritual life, becomes something that we're trying to perform. It becomes something that we're trying to actually do to impress. It becomes something like a spectacle that we feel like we need to measure up to, and it gets totally and completely exhausting. We can't do it. So then we find ourselves spectating all of these wonderful Christians, all these incredible spiritual, spiritual beings, people who you want what they have, but you know you can never get it, so you'll just sit back and watch. And there's this passivity that kind of comes over us. We know we can't perform that well, so what we'll do is, is sort of, in some ways, be in a sense of paralysis. I want that, but it's not for me, I guess. Do, we, do you know what I'm talking about? Does this ring a bell in terms of the ways that we might be in the Christian life? Well, I'd like to contrast this image of life as a circus with life as a garden. Now, life as a garden is very different. Why? Because in life as a garden, growth, what it means to actually be nurtured and watered, what it means to be nourished and sustained, what it means to be cultivated, all of those words are words of patience and of time. 
and of, in the words of Eugene Peterson, a long obedience in the same direction. And often, life in the garden, it looks like a whole lot is not going on. I'm not a gardener, but I know that when you plant seeds, that it takes a long time to actually then see what is produced. It's not immediate. And if this image sounds familiar, it's because this is biblical image, actually, for life with God. When the Bible talks about the Christian life, it speaks of garden-type life. It speaks of agriculture. It speaks of something that takes a whole lot of time and is very complex and takes a whole lot of different pieces to come together in order to see the fruit that is produced. Now, this is very different, again, than life as a circus because this is the life of slow going but faithful cultivated living it's about attending it's about awareness now this is getting a little closer to Philippians 4 now again let's read these words in light of life as a garden rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice let your gentleness be known to everyone the Lord is near do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the type of life that sounds very appealing, sounds very restful, sounds actually very peaceful. And again, this is biblical language. Isaiah 58, 11, when, when the prophets are giving images of what the people of God will be like when they're restored, restored, says this, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Jeremiah 31, verse 12, for the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall become like a watered garden and they shall never languish again. When God is talking about the images of a restored people with him, he uses the image of a garden of a watered garden. Jesus actually takes this up when he begins to talk about the spiritual life or life in the kingdom. We know the parables of the sower, right? The parable of the sower has to do with seeds and has to do with growth and then has to do with that growth either being choked out or the word being implanted and taking root or being picked and plucked up before it's actually able to. Jesus is using this language, this image of the garden, of things being planted, of growth taking place. In John 15, if you've been here a while, this is something that is so important to me, this passage, this idea of abiding in Christ, abiding in the vine. This image of the garden, of growth being something that somehow we are participating in, but not completely, totally responsible for. That's what the garden image is supposed to do and to call us to. And see, the focus on the circus is on the person. How are you performing? What does it feel like to be spectating? The, when, when you get to the garden life, the focus is on the gardener. 
Who is tending the garden? Who is nourishing it? Who is nurturing it? Now, again, Philippians 4. The focus, though it's like Paul is asking us to do something, the focus is completely entirely on who God is and what he's like. The Lord is near. You don't need to worry because you can pray to a God who will listen. Your request can be made known to God. The reason you'll have peace is because it's God's peace. That peace will guard your hearts, not your own peace. God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the focus is not, on the, is not on the spectator or the performer. The focus is on the gardener. It's on the one who's doing the work, the one who is, again, nourishing, nurturing, cultivating the life that we want. So we have life as a circus, which we all too often live in. I feel that. And then we have life as a garden, this new way, this way of being with God where he is attending to my spiritual life, to my soul, and producing growth and producing fruit. So then what does growth in the garden actually look like? What does growth in the garden look like? Now, I've already said this. It's not up to us. It's, it's up to the gardener. It's up to the one who's planting the seeds, watering the seeds, being sure that the seeds grow, that all of the conditions around the seeds are, are in good, good standing, good place, so that growth can actually happen. I mean, this is the word of God, right? We hear that. We see that in the parable in Matthew, that the word of God, when it is implanted, it produces growth. We see that God is the one who cultivates the garden, but somehow we participate in that cultivation. The cultivated life is something that God is responsible for, but we are participants in. Colossians 2.6, Paul uses this language. as and, uh, says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So there's this idea of continuing to live in the way, but being rooted and grounded in Jesus. And then we get, go again to Philippians 4, now this time looking at verse 8. We are actually asked to do something, asked to participate in God's cultivation of our souls, of our lives. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's any Thing worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned. The, her, the uh, translation we heard read this morning said, practice these things. So keep on doing these things. Practice these things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. So God is the gardener who is cultivating our lives, but we are people who participate in that cultivation in that growth. Again, using the language of John 15, we are called to abide. So then what does it look like to to actually be people whose gardens of our lives, of our souls that God is attending to in the midst of what often feels like a circus? Because if God is the gardener and the garden is our life, then it can be cultivated wherever we are, in our homes, with our roommates, our spouses, our children, in our work, in our creative endeavors, on the 405 when we're stuck in traffic, in our coming and in our going, at the the sporting event, 
I mean, if God is the gardener, then our lives can be cultivated wherever we are. Now, I was tempted to show you a picture, which you got a taste of earlier, of this. Like, oh, this looks amazing. Yes, that's the type of garden I want. Yeah, that, that looks great. But let's be real, not this garden. This is not the life that we live. It's the one I showed you before. It's this garden. It's this garden that actually finds itself almost surprisingly in the midst of a place where it doesn't seem to belong. Now, if you think about these buildings and and, as all the different potential forces working against the cultivation of this garden, that's what our lives often feel like. It feels like there are so many, I'm always being pulled, tempted to live in the circus. But what does it look like to have a life that is a garden in the midst of something like a circus? Perhaps that's the work that God wants to do. That's what God is up to in your life and in my life and in our life together. But the way that this begins to take root, the way that this begins to happen is by our participation in the work that God has begun. And this is where practices come in. Again, Susan Phillips, she says this, the cultivated life is one of persevering in our longing. In the garden and on the trail, grace collaborates with dedication. Love that. Grace collaborates with dedication. Our completion comes toward us as we move toward it. And this is all part of what Paul calls the still more excellent way. If we go to Philippians 1, Paul talks about this work that God has begun that he will complete in the day of Christ Jesus. This work that God has begun, we are participating in. This cultivation of our lives and our souls that God is doing as the gardener is something we are called to be involved with. And that is why practices matter. The goal is not the practices. Again, our practices that we are wanting to live into, welcoming, listening, following, going, they are not ultimately the goal. I would love for us as a church, and I think you would too, to be the most welcoming church that we could possibly be, the church who is listening so faithfully to the God who is wanting to speak. The church who was sold out for Jesus. And wow, that brings me back to like when I was a teenager, sold out for Jesus. I don't even know what even that means. But we are just like, we are, we are people who are, who are so wanting to follow after Jesus that we are taking seriously every word that he says, everything that he has commanded us to do. I, want, I would hope that we are a people who feels and experiences the the reality of the sentness by the Spirit. All of those things I want. All of those things I think God wants for us. But all of those practices are actually the ways in which we are participating in God's cultivation of our lives. I just don't want us to be experts at welcoming. I don't want want us to be spiritual um, wonders of listening or the most incredibly faithful followers of Jesus or people who see ourselves as as going and sent. All of those things are wonderful, but the practices themselves are not the goal. It's the goal is what God is doing in our lives through those practices. Practices open us up to the work of God, to the transforming, ongoing work of God in our lives. And that is why we are leaning into those, wanting to live into those, so that we become people whose lives are open to the gardener who is tending and cultivating our souls. 
That is, that is the type of people I want us to be, learning from Jesus how to live and love like Jesus, with our life together formed around these practices that allow us to be open to the work of God. Because practices matter. Our habits matter. They actually shape what we desire, what we love, what we want, who we end up becoming. If you don't think that's true, go watch The Social Dilemma. Now, The Social Dilemma is a, is a film that shows us all of the different ways in which our imaginations, our lives are co-opted by advertisers and people wanting our money, and one of the ways that they get into our lives is by the phone, by this thing that I have in my pocket, right here. And the, the, the language that's used by expert is what? The nudge. Various nudges. We are nudged into different, into different ways of being, into wanting particular things. You're on a website, you're nudged to want to click on something, and then all of a sudden, you're buying something. I was on YouTube the other day. Somehow I was watching Matthew McConaughey read 1 Corinthians 12. Now, that, I, I, don't know, I don't know in what world like I found myself part of that algorithm. <laughs> and I don't know in what algorithm I am now part of that will then like, shape my desires, but somehow it knew. It knew that I would want that. And, but the thing about that reality is that our habits... Our, and our practices are in some ways like nudges. They nudge us into particular ways of thinking, of desiring, and loving. Practices, having a life formed around practices, it's like having a life formed around particular nudges that push us in a certain direction. Push us in a direction, good practices, practices given to us by Jesus, nudged in a direction where our life is open to the transformative work of God. And so these practices that we're wanting to live into as a church, that these small groups are really going to be formed around, are for the sake of, of actual transformation, of living lives in the garden. Lives not marked by the circus. Because wouldn't it be nice to leave the circus? But it's always calling us back. But the garden, where the work of Christ is actually taking place, slowly but surely and faithfully, I mean, that can happen anytime, wherever we might be. Perhaps thinking and opening ourselves up by certain practices in the life that we have to be open to him. So what does that look like for us to live into the practice of welcoming, of listening, and following, and going? I mean, there are certain nudges that we can sort of create in our lives. Some of the, the like ancient Christian language for this is something like a rule of life, that you actually have a rule, not just a rule as if it's a rule that I need to follow, but there is some sort of form and shape to your life that then helps to form and to direct and to nudge you into different ways of being with God. Now, what would a rule of life look like formed around welcoming, listening, following, and going? What does that look like? And these are some of the things we need and I hope and desire to learn together as a community. I'll just share one example. Sorry if that was me. One example of a welcoming and the way that this might take place in my life. One of the things I like to do in the morning 
is I like to get up and I like to read. Sometimes, because of that, my kids get up way earlier than I wish they would. And they interrupt my reading. I've actually been super convicted by how I even look at them, like when they come out of their room. And I don't know why this is funny. I would assume that you guys relate to this. Um, Maybe that's why you're laughing. So I'll just take it as like, yeah, you totally get it. But part of my living into and wanting to live into this practice of welcome, I've actually been convicted of what does it look like to welcome my kids when they wake up? And so one thing I try to do is they wake up and I try to like move, either move toward them or ask them to move toward me. And I just try to give them a hug. Something every day, it's not rocket science, right? It's like this, this whole thing. But it's, but it's actually something that if I didn't nudge myself in that direction, the thing that they might experience when they wake up is just annoyance or whatever that feeling might be of, oh, they're interrupting. But I don't feel like that's Christ-like. I feel like I need to begin welcoming. If I'm going to live into a practice of welcoming, it begins where I'm at. And that is the place where it begins. Early in the morning, right there. And we all, that's just one example of the ways that I'm trying to live into these different practices. And we all have those ways. Like, what are some for you? What does it look like for you to be nudged in particular directions, to be open to Christ's transformative work in your life. And so here, here are the questions I'd love to end with. How is Christ inviting you to participate, to participate in the cultivation of your life, of your soul? How is Christ inviting you to participate? What is Christ calling you to stop? Because if we want to get out of life as a circus, it means we need to stop doing things, like stop performing and stop spectating. It also means we need to stop, actually, the, in some ways, whatever, in whatever ways this might be, the chaos and the craziness that we think that we have no agency over, and we just constantly resist and are frustrated about, and then you realize, like, oh, I made decisions. These are the consequences of those decisions. What do you need to stop? What is Christ calling you to stop? And then, what is Christ calling you to start? Again, what are some of those nudges that you might begin to include and involve um, in your life, begin to practice to open yourself up to God. I'd love to end with this from Matthew 11, one of my favorite passages, which you've heard me say before. And I love this particular paraphrase of it from Eugene Peterson's The Message. It's Jesus saying this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Get away with me and leave the circus. I'll show you how to take a real rest, how to live in the garden. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that sounds good. And that's the invitation that Jesus extends to all of us. And the practices that we want to live into open us up to the possibility of having that type of life where we say, yes, I will go to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I want to learn from you the unforced rhythms of grace. Yes, I am tired. I want to recover my life because you have the life that you want to give. And that's the invitation to all of us. And somehow, in some ways, practices 
help us to participate in the cultivation, God's cultivation of our souls. Thanks be to God. So we have an opportunity, again, to move toward the invitation that Christ gives to all of us, which is to come. And we're, yeah, somebody's ready. Um, Amen. Uh, And to come and and to receive the gift of life. I mean, the the bread or cracker uh, and the wine, the grape juice, they point to all that Christ has given so that we might receive life. It's both the invitation to come to the table wherever you might be. Maybe it's in the circus. Come and receive. Maybe you want to live into that garden. You want to have your life cultivated by God. Come. This is the nourishment. This is the food. This is the drink for us in our life with God. So in just a moment, you're going to be released by Rose. You'll come forward. There are going to be servers here serving you the various elements. Hold on to them. Take them back to your seat. We'll partake together. Uh, Those of you, um, not many of you, the very few of you in the balcony, uh, if you, you can come whenever you would like. Uh, So don't, you're not going to be released necessarily come when you feel comfortable um, to come down and to receive the elements. But I'd like for you guys to stand. Servers, you can come to the tables and then you'll be released in a moment.